Hey there, what's going on? My name is Jason Bay, but you can call me J-Bay. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. And this podcast is for reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with clients, but hate it when they go to make a cold call and the prospect gives them an objection and they fumble around with what to say and they don't feel confident in their response. So if that's ever happened to you or on the team that you manage, you're definitely in the right place. And today we're talking to Shruti Kapoor. She is the CEO of a company called Wingman, and I'm super excited for the conversation because one of the things that's happened in COVID, I mean, there's a lot of advice, sales advice, uh, mostly bad, (laughs) in my opinion, about what's changed in COVID. And I'm of the very, very firm belief that really not much has changed in terms of how we sell. So the framework in terms of how we sell, how we prospect, Not a lot of that has changed. Obviously, if we want to empathize with our prospects, their situations have changed, right? So we need to be able to talk to how their business, how their job, how their role is being impacted. But selling as a process, as a framework, hasn't changed. And what we're going to dig into today is trends from COVID. So one perspective that Shruti has that's very unique is that she, um, the company Wingman that she runs... They've dissected since COVID started over 2 million minutes of calls and over 220,000 individual sales calls. And what they looked for was trends in what gets talked about in these calls. And there's four areas that we're going to cover in the conversation today around, you know, typical blockers and, you know, one of those being, you know, discounting, you know, budgeting being a big thing, obviously timing, um, you know, credibility. We're going to talk about a lot of those blockers that typically happen throughout the sales process. And she's going to debunk some things that she has found in the calls that actually aren't getting brought up as much as you would think. And one of them, I'll give it away right now so that you get a little bit of a taste of what we're going to be talking about. But we should actually be more concerned with timing right now during COVID than with budget. And that's an interesting thing to think about because there's a lot of people you know, you might be hearing from prospects, hey, budgets are frozen and that sort of thing. And it makes us proactively want to talk about budget more when it actually might be more of a timing issue. So we're going to talk about some things like that, that we should know about, some trends during COVID, what's you know changed in their data before uh, COVID started. And then now at the time of recording this late in October. And again, Shruti runs a company called Wingman. And this podcast uh, today is sponsored by Wingman as well. It's a tool that I've been using to analyze my sales calls and really capture the winning moments that our clients have in their calls too. So if you ever felt like, you know, hey, I need to hit the panic button during the sales call because I'm not quite sure how to handle it when they bring up price (laughs) or when they talk about my competitors, one thing that you can use Wingman for that I've used it for is to create cue cards. So literally live during a sales call, You as a rep or as a manager, your reps can get coaching without you having to actually be on the call. And these cue cards will automatically pop up in a way that's not distracting and it'll detect when a prospect brings up or says certain statements and it'll tell you talking points and things that you should focus on that will help you in a moment, in the moment, excuse me, that are not distracting. So check that out at blissfulprospecting.com slash wingman. And let's get to the episode of Shruti today. So in getting to know you guys and your company a little bit better, one thing that I wanted to ask you about is why this space, you know, why did you guys decide to get, you know, started with software in the sales space? There's, there's a lot of software out there and you guys obviously fill a very specific, you know, kind of role and niche. That's pretty cool. But I'm curious, like, what were you thinking 
when you guys were like, you know what, I, I want to start a software company in the sales space? <laughs> um, so you're saying why sales, uh, right? And, yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, there are there are two reasons to it, right? Like there'll always be a logical reason and a not so logical reason. Um, <laughs> I think the the logical reason, and you only arrive at the logical reasons often after you've done the illogical thinking. Um, the logical reason is that um, you know when you are trying to sell to a company, um, you typically want to sell them something that you can clearly show ROI for, uh, right? Mm-hmm. And you want to be able to show ROI. Um, you know, like the, the, if you look, think of it as an income statement, right? Like the lower you go in that income statement, yeah. the lesser important those line items are. Um, and so in terms of sales is, you know, the top line, right? Uh, and if you can impact the top line, uh, it always makes for, um, you know, both a great sales pitch, a great ROI calculation. Um, yep. And it all sounds like a great logical thing to do. Um, but honestly, the illogical uh, reason for this was just, it just came from my own experience and um, my somewhat passionate hatred for uh, updating CRMs <laughs> and looking at CRMs to get data. <laughs> That's interesting. So you're one of those kind of classic entrepreneurs, it sounds like, where you had a problem yourself when you were selling and you know working with salespeople and you wanted to fix this problem for yourself. Is that kind of the thinking behind it and how you got started? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I got started because I was, um, you know, I was getting asked by my marketing team and my product team all the time, um, you know, what do the customers want or, you know, what yeah. are the customers saying? And um, honestly, like the only time I could go back to my sales reps and I would ask them for these answers, they would give me like the story of the last call that they had, uh, which didn't seem like a very smart thing to do uh, to base all decisions off. Yeah. And then it's not in the customer or the prospect's language usually either. It's just kind of regurgitated the way that I would interpret the conversation from my point of view versus, you know, from their point of view. Uh, How did you guys end up getting, because I saw that you guys were in Y Combinator too, which is like a very prestigious, um, is it an incubator? Is that what it is? Are they an accelerator? Are they both? Is that what it's called? Like, how did you guys get involved with Y Combinator? Yeah, it's an accelerator. So, you know, Y Combinator, of course, is, I guess, one of the best known accelerators in the world. Yep. Um, and what they're really good at doing is, um, uh, you know, they're really good at both having, a, a, you know, giving you a small, period, short period of time where you need to accelerate and, you know, just work towards a single metric. Uh, and that kind of focus really helps um, in your know, decluttering because as an entrepreneur, it's easy to kind of want to do 25 different things, uh, all assuming that, you know, it's helping your business move forward, but, you know, that can add a lot of clutter to your thinking. Um, the way we got involved with it, and of course, I mean, it's, it's, Y Combinator has a fairly uh, standard uh, selection process. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the selection rates are like, um, you know, low single digit percentages. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we went through that process. We applied online, you know, you have to, you have to record a video intro. And then um, we had an in-person interview with uh, the team that uh, they actually flew down to Bangalore for the interviews that year. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. So was it like Shark Tank? <laughs> do, you, do, you have, do you have to like present in front of people? Like, was it really intense or was it like, okay, cool. You guys are good. We want you on board. What was it like? So it's a really interesting process. They do 10 minute interviews. 
um, and and it's like strictly ten minutes. And so, in wow, ten minutes! So you got to get all of that out in ten minutes. Yeah, um, and the beauty of it is that because it's ten minutes, you're really forced mm-hmm. to condense everything um, that you think about your business into like you know. Yeah. Again, you're just forced to declutter, uh, right? So you can't like give them a long-winded answer for uh, any question that they ask. And um, so yeah, that's that's how it is. It's uh, it's of course not not like Shark Tank. Uh, it's you know in a room with just two partners and the founders. Um, it's not public. There is no humiliation. And uh, yeah, whether you're in or out, you know privately. <laughs> that's good. Well, it must have went well because you're here now. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, I, what you've mentioned, that's kind of interesting because I feel like this is really connected to wingman in this space is like distilling down the conversation into 10 minutes. That's something that's really important, like in prospecting and selling and, and people can use your tool to kind of do that. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about, so you got into sales, but like what's going on in terms of conversational intelligence and if we could just talk really bluntly about like, how do you, who do you guys tend to focus on helping and how you help them and how you sort of differentiate maybe from some of the other solutions out there? Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so I think conversational intelligence overall, um, you know, it's, it's really focused on helping people uh, get intelligence out of conversations that are happening, right? And the, the gamut of conversations you can think about today, at least, is, um, you know, anytime you're speaking to a customer, that could be over a phone call or over a video meeting like this, or uh, it could also be communication over email or chat, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the idea overall with conversation intelligence is how do you take all of that information and all of that rich data that exists and make meaning out of it, right? Like for decades now, we've had the ability to record calls, uh, right? But nobody has, uh, you know, really gotten intelligence out of it because uh, nobody can sit down and, you know, uh, go through every call and compute things like, hey, what percentage of time did uh, the customer uh, speak in this conversation or how many times did the customer ask a question? Like nobody could have done that analytics uh, till now, right? And the reason why I think the space has, uh, you know, really come of age uh, recently is because uh, voice to text has really become accessible and much more accurate only recently. Yeah. Uh, right. So that's kind of what has enabled this to come. I think people always recognize that that data was important, right? Like that's the reason why a lot of your customer service calls started with this call will be recorded for training purposes. Uh, but, you know, that data almost uh, never got uh, appropriately used for uh, yeah. identifying trends, maybe just for training and feedback. Um, and then I think the way we think about this versus the space in general is, we think about this as something that can enable uh, sales teams, not just sales managers, right? So we think of ourselves as a wingman, uh, both for sales reps and for sales managers. Uh, and so one of the things that we uh, you know, are focused on doing is helping sales reps in improving each interaction, both during the interaction and after the interaction as in terms of feedback. Uh, and I think that's really powerful because if, you know, I'm sure all of us have tried to change one habit or the other at some point in our lives and failed miserably, uh, right? And like changing sales habits is no different. So I think the only way to kind of stay true to yourself and um, have a higher chances of succeeding uh, in changing your habits is if you're able to get those constant reminders in a much more timely fashion. And uh, that's kind of where the real-time coaching and feedback that Wingman provides 
uh, comes into play. It's almost like having like a, a personal trainer because I've used, been using the tool over the last month or so. And it's it's really interesting how when you think about, especially selling in a virtual environment, it's kind of tough. Like, cause it's, it's kind of like weird if your manager is like on the sales call with you and they're just sitting there not saying anything. Plus it takes up a bunch of their time, right. To do that, you know, versus having something like wingman where you can, you know, create some of those notifications and, and cue cards and things like that. And um, we'll talk about that a lot more, but I, I think it's important for people to have the kind of that context into like what you guys are doing and what you're about to share with us is data that you've gathered like in the last year and correct me where I might be wrong here, but I recall you mentioned 2 million minutes over 222,000 plus calls um, that you, that you looked at, which is an insane amount of data um, really kind of looking at COVID, which I think is, is super interesting. If you kind of look globally, just kind of at a macro level with the data, did anything surprise you when you were looking through the data? Yeah, what surprised me was that people weren't speaking about COVID in every single call. Weird. Like, so what percentage of time, if we get into kind of the numbers here, like what percentage of the time were people actually even bringing up COVID? So I think at its peak, which was in April, people were bringing up COVID uh, around 20% of the time. Um, And now that number is, uh, you know, 10% or uh, so. Which is interesting because I don't know when you consume content on LinkedIn, it's kind of like a bubble, right? You feel like everyone's talking about COVID. And then it's, it's interesting because the sales calls I do are either companies I'm going after that are on like a very small list or they're companies that come to me through my content. So they're also seeing the same stuff. So I almost sell to people in like a little bubble. Whereas like the clients that I work with, their prospects aren't hanging out on LinkedIn, consuming a bunch of sales content usually, right? So they aren't hearing people like trainers and consultants and coaches saying, hey, you need to talk about COVID or hey, don't talk about COVID or whatever, you know, the advice is. Um, so it's kind of interesting that at its peak, it was really only around 20% of the time. And do you think that's a, should we, if you kind of look at the data, I mean, should should reps be bringing this up uh, proactively in conversations? Because that's another thing I wonder with the data is like, because a customer is not talking about it, is, does that mean that you shouldn't talk about it? Or like, how do you, you kind of look at the data in that way? Um, so actually what's interesting is um, we've, and so we've split the data out um, in terms of, you know, who started talking about the topic uh, in a sales call, right? Was it the customer or was it the rep? Oh, okay. Um, and what we see is that, um, you know, it's it's roughly half-half when it comes to COVID. It's like, you know, roughly half the time your customer might start speaking about it first. Um, I think one of the things that people have been concerned about is like, does that uh, overall trigger, um, you know, some sort of a negative spiral, right? Like, you know, does it trigger like negative emotions or emotions of fear? And therefore, you know, how does that impact your sales? All right. Um, I think that answer is a little bit more nuanced because mm-hmm. it depends on what you're selling, right? Like if you're selling the insurance, um, you should be talking about COVID, right? <laughs> you you want to kind of play on that fear. Um, but if you're selling something that, you know, is, is 
once you want to evoke a very different emotion then maybe this is not the topic to lead with um so i think that that is a little bit more nuanced and because you know we are looking at an aggregate data across many different industries we didn't want to break it out uh, in terms of that kind of an impact and i don't think that there'll be a right answer on whether or not to talk about it yeah so i, I think you bring up such an important topic because and I'm not going to mention the specific company, but you definitely know who they are. There's a lot of companies that put out a lot of data on conversational intelligence and it's like blanket answers of like what to do. And there's so much of it that is so contextual, you know, to the industry, to the job title, what you're selling. Are you selling something that's transactional versus highly relationship driven? Um, so before we get into like really in the weeds with the data, um, do, you, do you have any like words of caution in terms of like, can you be too data oriented, you know, and like how you approach this kind of stuff? Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that context, uh, you know, is super important. And a lot of times what we see people do is um, try to find benchmarks, um, right, which are, you know, which are somewhat easy. Uh, right, if you're able to get a what you consider a good benchmark, uh, but might not necessarily be super relevant. So I think all data kind of needs to be benchmarked appropriately, right? Mm -hmm. And when I think about sales process, um, and you know, when I talk to people about conversation intelligence uh, in relation to their own sales process, I always tell them that there are three types of benchmarks to look at, uh, right? Um, and, you know, like one of the typical things that people ask me is, hey, what is a good talk to listen ratio? And, you know, the answer is only two words. It depends. Um, and so, you know, the, the three benchmarks I think every organization should look at whenever they're looking at uh, this type of data. Uh, one is, you know, how does how does this compare with respect to your process, right? Like mm. if you're trying to implement a new process or a new framework and you've just hired um, maybe a consulting firm to roll out a new sales methodology, um, you know, one way to look at the data is to just look at adoption of that new methodology or process, uh, right? Um, and the reason why it might be relevant to look at the adoption is uh, because then that can give you deeper hints into whether or not the methodology is working or not versus whether or not people are even using the methodology, right? Which is usually such a large percentage that any changes that you see, um, you know, are very clouded. The second benchmark to start looking for uh, is uh, between your reps, right? So you know a rep who's doing well uh, and you know reps who are not doing well. Now, why that is a great benchmark is because all of those reps are selling to the same persona, you know, all of the things yep. that you spoke about earlier, right? Like the ACV, the industry, everything else is kind of taken care of, right? Like it's the control set. Uh, and the third benchmark to look at is calls that converted versus calls that didn't convert, right? Within your organization. I think those are the uh, better benchmarks to look at rather than, uh, you know, generally look externally and look for global benchmarks um, for a lot of them. I think global trends and benchmarks are useful uh, when it comes to, you know, slightly more um, uh, generic or abstracted out things. Like I wouldn't start looking for a global benchmark for, you know, the use of a particular word in a call. Like it would mm -hmm. probably be a bit harder to extrapolate. This has been a really interesting conversation so far. And one thing that she brought up that I 
never really thought about for whatever reason, is that if you're trying to adopt a new methodology, either as an individual rep, um, it could be anything, could be, you know, gap selling is a methodology that I like uh, a lot. Uh, it could be a prospecting methodology. Maybe you're trying to adopt more language around how you guys talk about your product or your service or the problems that you solve. One of the tools that you can use is Wingman to actually uh, pick up the transcriptions of those in recording so that you don't have to listen to an entire 30-minute, 45-minute recording to figure out if you're saying the right thing or not. And you can also be notified in real time with cue cards as well. So if you're trying to adopt a new methodology, Wingman is a really great tool that you can use and that I use uh, myself and with our clients to help you make sure that you're doing that correctly. Check it out, blissfulprospecting.com slash wingman. Let's get back to the interview with Shruti. Gotcha. So the second one was looking at what successful versus unsuccessful reps are doing. Was that the second one? Okay. Yeah, this is really important, I think. So I didn't even think of the adoption part of, uh, you know, if you're adopting a new sales methodology or some new language or whatever it might be, uh, being able to use a tool like this to track that and then looking between reps and then what converted versus didn't convert. So when we look at the data, then you said that there are four blockers typically um, that stand in the way of people closing deals. Uh, What are those blockers? And can we kind of individually go through them and look at the data that you picked up here pre-COVID versus basically now at the time of recording this, we're, yeah, this is going to air on October 29th. So um, you pulled this like basically, we're almost looking at something here, real time here. Um, but what did you, what did you find? Where where should uh, where should we get started? Sure. Um, so yeah. So the, the data that I'm uh, uh, pulling out uh, is from October 2019 to um, mm-hmm. you know as of last week of October this year. Uh, right. Um, and you know the first thing that everybody was talking about when COVID hit was, listen, budgets are frozen. And, you know, all I'm hearing on my calls are, you know, you need to get approvals from the CFO, budgets are frozen, sorry, we can't do this. Um, And so I wanted to know how big of a concern are budgets, right? And how much uh, has that increased, um, you know, from what you would expect to be a baseline from October till February of this year, right? October last year to February of this year. Um, And so Overall, like just for the same benchmark of data, right? Like you would expect budget conversations to show up in, you know, less than 1% of the sales calls. All right. And Mm -hmm. of course, this is across all different types of sales calls, but less than 1% of sales calls. Come March this year, right? This number uh, jumped from uh, close to 0.6% in February uh, to nearly 1.5% in March, right? Um, and that was like then the COVID crisis was just starting, right? And then this number mm-hmm. kept kept going up. So that kind of seemed in line with, you know, the feedback that people were hearing. Uh, but what was really surprising was that if you went back and looked at the data around timing and people saying, you know what, this is not a good time. I think we need to look at this later. Uh, that was kind of the da- numbers that really spiked up, right? So, you know, that was almost, happening twice as often as the conversation around budget. Um, and that was, uh, you know, a big eye-opener for me because I think that generally sales teams, um, you know, uh, didn't account for the fact that sales cycles are going to uh, go up so much, uh, right? And so what sales teams need to be doing now um, in COVID, I think one of the things is definitely to uh, 
account for the fact that sales cycles are high, so you need to do much more consistent follow-ups. You probably need to think more about, you know, a nurture campaign, uh, think more about creating really relevant content, uh, think about creating content that is also very timely, right? Because mm-hmm. so much has changed in everybody's world that people are, uh, in some sense, appreciating content that can add value to them and that can, you know, help them understand their situation a bit better. Um, so I think those are some of the takeaways. Um, and it, it was really surprising to see that timing trumped budget when it came to objections. Yeah, that's interesting. So with budget, do you have any data around percentage of time the customer or the prospect brought it up versus rep? Yeah, so what we saw with the budget data uh, was that, you know, it was roughly 60% of the time the customer would bring it up. Uh, and then maybe uh, 35% or so of the time the rep was bringing it up, right? Uh, and this is specifically like budget-related objections. Uh, right? Yeah. So it was, I mean, it, it of course makes sense because these are things that the customer is going to talk more about. Uh, in mm. some cases, the rep might, you know, either preemptively say that, um, you know, I understand budgets are frozen, so why don't we, you know, think of other strategies? Or they might just be saying that, hey, I'm following up, uh, you know, because the last time you said budgets are frozen. Um, but it's it's definitely dominated by customers talking about it. What's really surprising to me, and even looking back at my own calls, is that how little objections actually are a part of the conversation. <laughs> you know, like, because so many people talk about price and budget and timing. And like, even if you looked at timing and budget together, like even between the two at the most, it's coming up like six or 7% of the time in a sales call. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, do, do you think that that is, so like with budget, like if we look, if we look at budget for a second, so my takeaway there is that really like budget is almost like a surface level objection in this case. And it's like budget might be more associated because there's different types of budget objections. There could be, Hey, we don't have the money period. Um, we've spent our budget. Uh, we have the money, but you know, maybe we think that we can get a better deal somewhere else. I mean, there's all different kinds of reasons for that. But what I'm getting for, from this is that if it is indeed truly a, a budget thing, timing is probably at the root issue. Yeah. Like it might take longer for me to get the budget than I need to, you know, it might, you know, lengthen my sales cycle by two, two X, you know, kind of thing. Is that, is that the takeaway here? Definitely. Yeah. Patience is an important virtue right now. Yeah. Is there anything that you're seeing with any of your users? I know that like there's, there's people that use your product that have all kinds of interesting stuff that they're testing. Is there anything that you've seen them uh, do specifically around like timing? Um, You mentioned like nurture content. Uh, You mentioned, you know, making sure to follow up. And that's what I like about a tool like Wingman is you can actually go in and drill into how your reps end up a call, right? And schedule next steps. Is there anything around, is that really the thing to focus on then is like next steps? Cause that's the thing. I don't know. You always hear people talk about, right. Is like, Hey, you know, schedule next steps. And it's like, seems to be the hardest thing for a lot of reps to do. Um, but what, what are you seeing um, from your, just your customer base? What are, what are you guys seeing that are people are doing um, in this area? So one of the things we um, we definitely heard from customers was that they were seeing a lot more deals suddenly die, uh, mm-hmm. right? 
uh, and uh, they were seeing a lot of instances of them getting ghosted, right? Like in late stages of the deal, uh, which yeah. you know you you would expect that to happen maybe after a demo call, right? When uh, you know the intent hasn't been clearly established. Uh, but in later stages, where you know in the process of a contract negotiation or so, you would expect um, you know the prospect to at least tell you, uh, right? Like in mm-hmm. more cases than not. Uh, one of the interesting approaches that I heard on this was like uh, one of the customers said that they got their team to start specifically signing off their uh, sales calls by telling the prospect, "Listen, I understand that you know there's, there's so much changing in the world, um, and I know that." you know, your priorities might change, things might change, but I really request you to keep me informed and don't ghost me. And they actually started using the word like, don't ghost me. And they said that that tremendously helped uh, their, um, you know, their uh, ghosting rates. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's really funny because, I mean, you could almost say it in a little bit of, uh, because we've talked about this before. I think that's a great line. You could almost kind of chuckle you know, about it, especially like at the end of a cold call, if you're setting up a demo or something like that, it's like, Hey, and by the way, I know things come up, Shruti, could you let me know in advance and, you know, not ghost me if something comes up, you know, or Hey, could you send me an email? Let me know if something comes up. So you, you know, instead of ghosting me, you can kind of almost have a little bit of fun with it, but addressing it is um, really important. So I, that's interesting. So with timing. Team for, uh, sorry, I was saying that could be the theme for like, Nudge emails in the Halloween season. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ghost me. (laughs) I love that. Um, Is there anything else that you found between like timing and budget um, or any other best practices that you can share in this area um, just from the data or from your customers or anything like that? Sure. So one of the things that we saw was, um, you know, I think especially at the start of covid uh, a lot of people were thinking what is uh, the right approach to mm-hmm. ease their customers uh, into, um, you know, maybe using the product because maybe budgets are frozen and you can't, um, you know, actually start buying things, uh, right? Um, and I think that the approach that people were trying to test for was, you know, maybe an extended free trial period is good, right? Like maybe I should just give the product away free for six months. Um, or maybe I should give like some sort of a discount to help mm-hmm. kickstart the uh, conversation. Um, but what we saw was that, um, you know, honestly, the conversations around discount uh, didn't significantly increase during um, this period. Uh, like, you know, the baseline for discount related conversations has always been high. Uh, right. Yeah. And what we saw was that while it increased a little bit, uh, you know, that, that, that difference between, uh, what was, you know, how many people were talking about discounts maybe October, November of last year versus in May or June of this year when the COVID crisis was at its peak was not that significant, right? Like, and the other trend we saw was that always there was a, a little bit of a spike in discount-related conversations towards the end of the quarter, um, you know, the last part of the quarter, which is not surprising at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, what what we saw was that, you know, in some sense, like if, somebody came to you with a budget objection uh, and if the underlying reason really was timing and it was timing because there was so much uncertainty, people were adapting to a new reality. They actually didn't have bandwidth to implement new things. Um, you know, a discount wouldn't have helped your cause. Yeah. God. Another thing I'm taking from this too, is that COVID 
it can almost like kind of test your confidence a little bit too, as a salesperson where you're kind of coming in and you're thinking like, oh, I don't want to be insensitive, right? About COVID. So it's almost like really easy for a, a customer that maybe just doesn't actually like your solution to just say it's a budget issue, <laughs> right? Or, or, Hey, you know, um, it's just not in the budget. We got a lot of stuff going on right now. I'm sure you can understand Trudy, you know, and then not being willing to kind of push, you know, in that area just a little bit, or, or just be inquisitive, you know, and kind of ask a little bit. The discount thing is really interesting to me though, because you would think and this is kind of hard to conclude, I guess, but you would think that more people would be asking for discounts, indicating that they were still serious about, you know, actually pursuing that tool, right? Or whatever it might be um, that you're selling, you would think it would go up. Yeah. It's, and the other interesting thing is that it's um, also not, um, you know, it's it's not so much that it has gone up for the customers, right? It's really, like, even whatever increases we are seeing have been dominated by uh, the reps talking a little bit more about it, but the difference mm-hmm. isn't significant. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. I mean, in some sense, when people come back, and, like, a lot of times reps come back and say, listen, pricing is a concern or, um, you know, budget is a concern. Um it doesn't necessarily help to, uh, you know, counter that with a discount, right? Like sometimes there might be a deep-rooted cause uh, like timing or authority or, you know, need hasn't been established, which is that, you know, a budget is like an easy excuse. Yeah, no, definitely. That's kind of the big thing that I, again, I'm taking away from a lot of the data is that just because someone says something doesn't mean that it's really the core issue, you know, at hand. Um which is, which is interesting. So the ROI thing I wanted to dig into because it looks like that has gone up uh, through COVID. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on, you know, because you hear kind of two schools of thought. There's this people buy based on emotion and then justify with logic. So like talking too much about ROI can be a detractor, you know, in certain senses. What are your thoughts on that based on what you're doing with Wingman and, and the work that you're doing is, how do you look at ROI and sort of the logic, you know, part of the sale? Is that something that is still important? Should we be talking about that a lot? Is that a big part of the decision-making process? How do you look at it? Sure. So, you know, if, if we looked at the data from, um, you know, November, December last year or early this year, um, you know, customers were actually only bringing up ROI, uh, you know, 0.3.4% of all the calls, uh, yeah. right? When you look at the data for October this year, uh, you know, the last three months, uh, it's more than 1% uh, of the yeah. calls, right? So it's actually more than doubled uh, how often customers are initiating that conversation. Um, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, while people are still buying things, they are, I think, a little bit more careful uh, and they want to make sure that, you know, they're doing a more thorough due diligence when they are doing that purchase process. Uh, and so ROI is coming in as part of the due diligence. Um, and what we've seen is that the reps have also started talking significantly more about it, uh, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it, you know, they used to talk about it maybe 1% of the time. Now it's almost double. Um, I think the larger takeaways, uh, not just for salespeople, but for others as well, is to 
um, start thinking about how best to uh, you know talk about ROI in a credible fashion, right? Uh, yeah. Whether that is to have a ROI calculator of some sort on the website or put that in your collaterals or whatever else. Uh, but it seems like a really important topic. And I think the other part of the reason why it's coming up so much more often is uh, these are going through more scrutiny. There are, um, you know, financial um, folks much more often uh, on uh, the deal committee today. Uh, than they used to be on the buyer committee. Uh, and so with those stakeholders coming in, uh, this is an important piece that needs to get answered. Gotcha. So essentially, if I'm understanding this correctly, like, like with, so if we looked at the four um, areas, again, it was budget, discount, ROI, and then timing. Um, it, essentially what we need to kind of coach our reps around is like, make sure that you have good talking points in these areas. And make sure that um, like when this comes up, that you're able to take the customer in a direction where you guys can actually have an open dialogue about it, (laughs) right? And it's like, as I'm saying this, I'm like, oh, this is kind of like just reinforcing like good sound, like sales advice, right? It's like, know what your customer is likely going to bring up. There's, There's only a handful of reasons why someone wouldn't close with you. And be prepared to have conversations in those areas and start them proactively, you know, if necessary. Exactly. I think the, the proactive part is key um, because, you know, sometimes when you initiate a conversation around a topic, people feel that you are, uh, you know, a lot more confident about that area, right? Like, yeah, you're not trying to hide that away. Um, so, yeah, if, if, you know, if you actively say, you know, I'll be happy to talk about the ROI, um, you know, instead of, I know a lot of people when they do the agenda setting, you know, I'll be happy to talk about pricing. Um, mm-hmm. Then I think that, you know, changes the flavor of the conversation as well. Gotcha. So you had one other area too around parenting. I thought that was kind of interesting. What did you find around parenting? Yeah. Uh, you know, so the, the reason why we were looking at the data was just because everybody uh, suddenly was stuck at home with their kids. Um, yep. And, what we wanted to see was, um, you know, is this a good topic to build rapport and, you know, are people really bringing this up? Um, what we saw was that, you know, at the start of the crisis, uh, you know, the customers definitely got a lot more comfortable bringing this up, all right? Um, it wasn't significantly more than before, but yeah, I mean, a 50% jump, right? So it was, customers were bringing it up in like 6% of the calls or so consistently. Uh, and now that's gone up to close to 9%, uh, right? Uh, but what we saw was that reps, uh, you know, were talking about kids only maybe 4% or so of the calls. Uh, and I think they were not really picking up on the fact that customers are talking more about it and they're anyway stuck at home with kids. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> and you know, one of the hypotheses I have on this is, of course, um, you know, as a customer, you're okay to bring up personal things, but as a rep, maybe you don't want to probe on something like that. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, that kind of assumed familiarity. Uh, but I think the other part of it is just that maybe a lot of reps are also younger people who don't necessarily have kids. Um, the good news, though, is, um, you know, as of uh, September and October, we are seeing that reps are bringing this up uh, almost twice as often as they were in uh, March of this year. So it looks like they have caught up to the bandwagon. Um, 
And I mean, it's I in between the two, it's like 16% of the conversations mention, you know, parenting. This is like the, besides discounts, I'm not looking at everything. I just took a quick screenshot when you shared it with me, but besides discounts, it looks like this is one of the most talked about things in sales calls right now. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, COVID. Yeah, but COVID's gone down to 10%. So. <laughs> yeah, so people are talking um, about parenting more than COVID, which I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Like when you, you think about, you know, hey, should I bring up something that might be kind of personal? What, what's your advice in that area? Because, you know, a lot of people are hesitant to bring up personal stuff, whether it be parenting or something else. Like what, what is, what is your advice in that area around talking about things that uh, might be pretty personal for a prospect? I think, uh, you know, the rules are constantly changing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think today with the boundary of work and home, um, you know, being fainter than ever before, um, I think the rules have dramatically changed as well. I think people are okay, uh, right, to build rapport with things that are a lot more personal. Like, you know, I'm sure a lot of times people start their conversations today by commenting on something that's in the background, uh, mm. in, in the backdrop, right? Um, and so, you know, literally you're in the personal space. It's like, you know, you're sitting at home with your prospect uh, and you can't not talk about uh, the things that matter to them, uh, right? I think it's always been useful uh, to be able to unearth things that are important to your prospect. And, you know, I mean, people, I think for the longest time have given advice like, hey, if you know they like a particular team, maybe they can send them tickets, um, you know, to the next sporting event. Uh, But today, um, you know, it's just that I think it's easier to discover what are the things that matter to them. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's perfectly fine to uh, talk about them in an appropriate manner. Yeah, especially if they talk about it on a public social media page, you know, it's, it's like, cause I mean, a lot of people are fearful of like bringing up personal stuff. And it's like, well, if you looked at this person's content that they post on a public yeah. Twitter page or a public LinkedIn page like that, I don't know, that's, it's fair game. What are they going to say? Worst thing they're going to say to you is like, a really, they're probably just going to give you a really short answer and not want to talk about it, which, which is okay. I mean, it's like, I think that shows a lot of emotional intelligence and social awareness if you don't pry on things that the person is clearly uncomfortable <laughs> you know talking about <laughs> the reason i'm smiling is that the, the funniest thing i've heard on this was a prospect um you know mentioned that one of the uh, you know sorry, not a prospect like a buyer mentioned that one of the reps that was reaching out to them had actually gone to uh the you know the buyer's parents Facebook page and commented on their kid's graduation photo. And he was like, that was just spooky. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's a little weird. you need to know when to draw the line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Kids are not, but yeah, you, you should probably be doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what is, uh, so like, what are the top two or three takeaways then from, so from this data, we talked about a lot of different stuff, but what do you want to, what do you want to leave people with? What do you feel like are the top, you know, couple takeaways, you know, from how people should use this data? Yeah. Um, I think one uh, is definitely, I think empathy and being human um, mm-hmm. is I think much higher uh, on the radar today, right? Like in some sense, I think people have let go of a few uh, boundaries, 
all right just you know parenting is an example but i think that if you were to extend the fact that people are talking about parenting you would also want to extend that into your marketing outreach into uh, you know maybe your communication making them more child friendly or uh, something right uh i think the other takeaway is uh to be patient uh, right like yep. it's i know it's harder to uh, glean between somebody who's saying this is not uh, the right time uh just because they want to you know pause the conversation uh, versus somebody uh, genuinely feeling that this is not the right time and they want to come back and revisit it right um so i think that it might be worthwhile devising a few techniques to uh, you know separate the two type of timing uh, brush offs um but then i think that it's also important to make sure that people who genuinely want you to follow up uh, you are following up with them um so i think those are a couple of takeaways and i would say that uh, offering discounts is not necessarily going to help close more deals so uh, you know maybe end of the quarter uh, and people get desperate and they do offer more discounts but um you know i don't think that that's going to be the big winner Gotcha. Awesome. Well, where can, before you take off here, where can people go to connect with you? And cause you guys post a bunch of content and stuff on your site. Where, where's the best place to go uh, connect with you guys? Yeah. So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, you can search for Shruti Kapoor uh, on LinkedIn. Um, and our website is uh, com. That was a fun one. Another interview in the books. One thing that really stuck out to me in what Shruti shared in the data was the topic around parenting I thought was interesting. So essentially looking for ways to build rapport around something that you have in common. So obviously, if you're not a parent, which I'm not a parent, I don't have kids, it's maybe something that's a little bit harder to bring up for me. Um, unless I hear things in the background or the person has kids. And that doesn't mean that I don't necessarily, you know, can't ask about, hey, how's you know, how's the homeschool, you know, going like that sort of stuff. And I thought that was really interesting that they've seen a trend in people talking more about that and finding ways to actually find common ground with people, which can be kind of tough, you know, right now with, you know, COVID and all of that stuff. So there was some, some really good takeaways there. And before you take off, if you're looking for ways to train yourself and create better habits around this, I definitely recommend checking out Wingman. It's a really great tool I am using right now to create better habits around implementing sales methodologies and most importantly, when prospecting, saying the right things and responding in the right way to our prospects. So check that out at blissfulprospecting.com slash wingman. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today and tuning in and we'll talk to you later.